No, I think that was cut a little early. I think right at the end it says love changes everything. Maybe? Yeah. That's what it was about to say, love changes everything. That, that whole video is based on love. The love of Jesus is what changes it all. We can have life like we used to where marriages fall apart, life is miserable, we're all about money, we're stuck on addictions. But then when the love of Christ enters through the cross and we submit to that, that's when it changes everything. Uh, and, and that's a great video to continue our series that we started last week. Last week we started looking at the abundant life where Jesus invites us into an abundant life with him. He said, you know, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and it's not egg yoke, it's yoke as in oxen. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that was Jesus' invitation to every single human alive, each of us. And now we are continuing this series of what does that abundant life look like? And it begins with the love of Jesus. Boom, done. It begins with the love of Jesus. It's all based on what Jesus did on the cross. But how come we're not just taken to heaven right then? We're not just raptured. I believe in you, Jesus. We're gone. We still have to live this life. How do we do it? How do we actually experience the abundant life? And the reason I wanted to do this series is because so many Christians don't experience the abundant life. And nobody who's not a believer, yes, <laughs> gets to experience the abundant life because it's found only in Jesus. But so many Christians miss out on what is so exciting about this life. And so we want to learn how to see this actualized in our life. How can we experience the peace, the joy, the purpose that God has for us despite circumstances? And that's the big thing, despite circumstances. Remember, we were going to title this series, Stuff Happens, because <laughs> stuff happens. But how can we live the abundant life while that stuff is going on, while life is hard and difficult? Uh, you know, Scripture says in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away, the new things have come. Boom. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, something changed. If you have not given your life to Jesus Christ yet, let me encourage you, you need to do it. And you need to do it today. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Last week we saw five baptisms. The, the outward showing of a new life dipped and raised. And I think the Peterman girls, they were baptized last week, right? Or two weeks ago. Last week. Yeah, so exciting. That's new life showing life has changed. But here's, so if you know me, you know I like to draw pictures. And so, so here's kind of this, here's the path all of us are traveling in life, you know, and everybody's walking along this path. Um, and remember, what does it say in Proverbs? There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it results in death. So we're all going in this, but then something happens. Boom. This, something happens in the path. It's a cross. See that? So something happens in the path. You meet Jesus. Remember we gave a quote last week that it's a relationship with Jesus changes everything. Personal contact with Jesus changes everything. Then the path keeps going. Because of this point in time, the destination of the path is fixed. Okay, we want to understand this. So here's a, this is a castle. My drawing's not always the best. But that's not the point. So the path is going to end in God's kingdom. This is very important for us to realize because this is where I think a lot of joy comes from and a lot of peace comes from. Your, your destination, if you have met Jesus, your destination is fixed, done. 
Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, and he gave up his life. Done. You're going to be in eternity with Jesus Christ. Awesome. No more pain. No more suffering. He's going to come back. He's going to call you his son. He does it right now. Gives me chills. You are a son or a daughter of the king if you have given your life to Christ. But there is this point between here and there where we have a lot of decisions to make, <laughs> don't we? Life happens. Things happen. And so some people take this path. You know, some people seem to just have it all together, and they just make the right decision every time, and their path seems easy, and most of us, that's not the way it works. <laughs> most of us, the path can go this way, and then there's a fork in the road, you know, and you can go this way or this way, and then there's another fork in the road, and every fork is a decision that has to be made. You know, think about that. Think about life. And as a student, you know, you're going to go to college and you have these decisions and then who are you going to marry and should you get married and should I do this job? And sometimes these decisions are, should I cheat on my taxes? Should I, should I sin? Should I do this? Um, should I log on to the internet right now? Should I not? Our life is filled with decisions as we go. Here's the thing. Those decisions are going to determine whether you experience the abundant life here and now. I believe eternal life is now. And what does the Bible say? Jesus said that eternal life is knowing God, that you know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Living life knowing God and going his way is going to be the best life for you. It's not always going to be easy. In fact, the fact is it doesn't mean you're going to be healthy, wealthy, everything's going to go good. In fact, the opposite is often true. You will be persecuted. You will have suffering. You have, will have trials because God disciplines those he loves. Uh, the Bible talks about branches being pruned. And fruitful branches are pruned more than unfruitful. The unfruitful ones are cut off. The fruitful ones are pruned. Meaning if you are living a life for Christ and he's using you for good things, you're actually going to get pruned. He's going to cut things out of your life that are preventing greater fruit. And sometimes that hurts. So here's this, here's this life. Here's this path that we're going on. And what I want us to learn, what I want us to get is how do we live this life? How do we experience a better way? Because a better way begins knowing Jesus. But then how do we realize it? Because we're still in these bodies. We still struggle with sin, right? I, I mean, most of us. Maybe there's one or two in here that doesn't, I guess. I've never met anybody like that yet. Um, and if I do, I know they're lying. So <laughs> we're in these bodies. We're going to deal with this stuff. How do we do it the best? And here's what I want us to get. And here's the big question today for you. Do you want to hear directly from the living God? Do you realize that God wants to talk to you? Throughout history... God has always wanted a relationship with his people. We've been talking about this for weeks, that Adam and Eve in the garden walked with God, talked with God. That's the relationship we were made for. But then sin broke it, and since then, God would talk to his people through a prophet. You know, a prophet would come in wearing camel fur and long hair and whatever and say, thus saith the Lord, and God would communicate that way. Or God gave priests, that people would go to the priest and they would sacrifice, and so the priest was an intermediary between people and God. Something happened at the cross, where, boom, that stuff was broken down, and now we have direct access to the Father through Jesus. You don't need a priest anymore. Did you know that? You don't need a, a pastor to pray for you. You know, a pastor's prayer isn't any greater than anybody else's. <laughs> you don't need somebody to go through to get to God. You have direct access to God. Uh, remember when Jesus died in the Gospels, you see this picture of there was a veil in the temple, the Jewish temple. There was a veil that separated the, the holy of holies, were the direct presence of God from everything else. And the high priest could go in there once a year. When Jesus died, it got dark. There was an earthquake. People rose from the dead. And that veil, which was very thick, tore in two. 
Very symbolic of saying, you don't have to go through anybody anymore. You have direct access to God. So my question to you is, do you want to hear from God? Do you want to hear from God? Because he wants to talk directly to you. And that's our point today. That's what we're looking at is how do we hear from God? So turn to 2 Timothy, please. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and somebody in the back will give you one. If you are a note taker, uh, the notes are on the table. Or you can download our really cool app, um, Common Ground Carson, and the notes are on the app. If you need access to internet, we have that. The, uh, the password is on mission, so if you're logging on, it's on mission. That's our password for internet here. On mission, download the app. But here's, here's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It's page 689, if you have one of these Bibles, page 689. And Paul writes this in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Here's our main point today, and so you can leave right now if you want. <laughs> Do you want to hear directly from God? God speaks primarily through his word. He has given us the scriptures to talk to you, to talk to us as the church broad, but also to speak to you directly individually. That's our, that's our thesis, okay? If you're a teacher, you know thesis statements. Or you're, <laughs> there's the thesis for today. We hear from God through his word. But now we're going to break that down. We're going to look at that because there's more to it. But what Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, is that all scripture is very literally God-breathed as if God spoke and it appeared on the page. Now, there's a lot we can talk about with God breathing and it appearing. He, he spoke through people. He used people to write the Bible. So it has some of their personality. You know, Paul's personality really comes out. You see that in there. Other personalities come out. But it's God speaking and his words appear on the page. Now, the first question that, for me at least, comes to mind when it says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable and it goes on. My first question, maybe yours too, is, well, then what's scripture? Because that's debatable. You walk out there and you talk to people, well, what's scripture? Is it the Quran? You know, what can we call scripture? Is it the Apocrypha? You know, that's several, some books that are in the Old Testament, in the Catholic Bible that aren't in the Protestant Bible. So what is, what is considered scripture? And so real quick, I just want to give you what we at Common Ground would, would claim is scripture, which is the traditional Protestant belief that what we have in this Bible is scripture, everything. Prove it? Okay, I'll prove it. <laughs> um, the Old Testament, you know, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I, if you struggle with understanding that this is scripture, go study it more. But the Old Testament, every single book in the Old Testament that we have, except for Esther, is either quoted or alluded to in the New Testament. So the New Testament affirms every book that we have in the Old Testament. By the way, the Apocrypha, which is in the Catholic Bible, it's never quoted in the New Testament. Um, move to the New Testament now, and we look at, okay, how do you know that the New Testament is accepted? Well, real quick, Old Testament, what we have, it's the Jewish scriptures. The Jews, uh, around the time of Jesus, basically had already accepted the Old Testament that we have here. So it's what they were using. This is what Jesus and the disciples would use, is our Old Testament for the most part. The New Testament, Paul, uh, we see in, well, I'm sorry, uh, 2 Peter 3.16, Peter refers to Paul's writings as scripture. So Peter, the apostle Peter, considers Paul's writings scripture. Well, he wrote most of the New Testament, a good portion of the New Testament. Paul refers to Peter as scripture. Um, 
like I said, the, the New Testament quotes almost every book in the Old Testament. Um, one of the other questions is, well, what about the uh, Gospel of Thomas? And all the, you know, the Da Vinci Code has really messed things up. People actually believe that junk. But how do we know our 27 books in the New Testament are the ones that are accepted? You know, because some people will say, well, that was decided way later under a, a Roman emperor. He decided. No, the 27 books that we have in the New Testament were generally accepted at the end of the first century. Meaning, within a couple decades of the last apostle dying, that would be John, the apostle John, they were, they were circulating the books that we have here. As time went on, and we have several lists from even the first century of scripture, some were debated, Jude, and, and some books were debated. Uh, Hebrews was hotly debated, who was the author. But in general, what we have now was accepted very, very early in church history. It wasn't written down and said, this is what we claim until the third century. But early on, it was accepted. So again, if, if you want to study that more, go study it. But this is what we accept, is the Bible that we have as scripture. All right, now let's go to stuff that's more interesting. Back, back to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I want to read it real quick from the New Living Translation. New Living. I think it says it very well. It says this. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So let's illustrate this real quick. Again, we have the, the path of life going along, okay? And inevitably, we're going to sin. Sin enters. We'll get down to it, you know. So all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching. So right here, teaching. It's profitable to show us how to live. It shows us, you know, how to live. It shows us God's will. So we study, we learn, we see what God wants. But then sometimes we're going to sin, sometimes willfully, sometimes in ignorance we'll sin. But scripture will show us what's right. All, all scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, or I'm sorry, for correction, rebuke. That's it, rebuke. Sorry, rebuke. So it will show you when you have sinned. So it shows you how to live. It shows you when you make a mistake. It is profitable for correction. It will show you what to do about it. Confess your sins one to another. If, you have a, if anybody has a problem with you, go to them. Okay, Scripture tells you what to do when you've sinned, how to get right. So it tells you how to live, tells you when you're wrong, tells you how to get right, and then uh, all profitable for teaching, correction, training in righteousness. That's the last one, training in righteousness. It will show you how to stay right. So here's kind of this picture. Without scripture, how do we know these things? How do we know how to live? How do we know when we've sinned? People that don't ex accept scripture, all that, you know, sin is fine for them. Sin is what they want to do. That's what our culture teaches. But the Bible will show what is sin, what to do about it, and then how to live right. And what's the goal we see in verse 17, 2 Timothy 3, 17? The goal is that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Complete, adequate, mature. There's a lot of different ways to translate that. But the goal is that we learn scripture, we apply it, and we become mature. We know how to live. We know how to live the abundant life and make good decisions. You know, in Acts 17, we see Paul, he goes down to Berea, a place called Berea. 
and he's teaching them. And what does this church do? And, and you, you'll see here, there's still churches around called Berean church. Well, this church, these Jews, would search the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying is true. And many of them believed because they believed the scriptures. And as Paul would teach, they would go to the Old Testament. They'd go, it's true. Everything he's saying is true. Jesus used the Old Testament scriptures to prove who he was. So for you, be like a Berean. Study the scriptures to see if something is true. If your pastor says something, check it out. Don't just believe him. Pastors are liars. <laughs> check it out. Believe scripture. Um, another example that comes to mind for me is, you know, we talk about it's good for training and righteousness, how to live. You know, what is, something's going to break here. What, what is one of the biggest things we married people have to deal with? Our spouse. <laughs> and they have to deal with us. Scripture is not shy <laughs> about talking about marriage. You know, in 1 Peter, it talks to wives. And, and it starts out this, if you have a husband who's disobedient to the word, meaning if you has a, have a husband who knows what the Bible says and chooses not to do it, Here's what you do. And how many women have this question? What do I do when my husband is off doing whatever he wants, willfully disobedient? It says, be submissive. <laughs> Don't be a nag, basically, is what it says. But by your loving deeds, show him how to live. That's what it says. The question then is, as a wife, do you hear that and go, I don't want to do that. That's too hard. But then it goes to husbands. And it's kind of the same idea. Husbands, if your wife is being disobedient to the word, what do you do? Live with her in an understanding way. As an equal heir with Christ, don't treat her lower than you. Treat her like, a, like a fine china. Love her. Well, husbands can look at that. Well, that's a lot of work. I don't want to do that. So the scripture tells us how to live. The question is, are we going to apply it? Are we going to do it? Um, as I was preparing this, I, I couldn't help but, but think of what you hear all the time in church. Um, or, or what I hear all the time talking to people, and they say, I'm not being fed. I need to be fed. And so people will come to church in order to get fed. You know, what's a pastor's job? To feed the sheep, right? That's part of it. But now I want you to picture this with me. A shepherd leading sheep, okay? How does a shepherd feed his sheep? Does he pick up the sheep, put it on its lap, grab the grass, shove it in its mouth, make it chew it and swallow it? No, that's never what a shepherd does. A shepherd will take the sheep, lead them to pasture, and say, now go eat. <laughs> They'll lead them to the quiet water. So a shepherd will lead. So many Christians, especially American Christians, depend on the Sunday church service to be their food. What would it be like if you ate once a week? <laughs> once a week? You'd be pretty hungry all the time. <laughs> that's not a healthy life. You need to eat every day, right? You, you go a day fasting. You ever fast for a day? For me, that's hard. I do it, but it's hard. So we'll fast for a whole week, though, and no big deal. Fasting from God's word, from what feeds us. We need to eat every day, and we need to learn how to feed ourselves. You know, picture this. You, you have uh, grown Here's Amy. How old are you, Amy? 16. When's your birthday? June? Oh, cool. Okay. I'll remember. 16, but imagine, you know, Amy's at home, and, and Mark and Lou come home, and, and Amy's sitting at the table, and she's like, I'm hungry. <laughs> Feed me. You know, and so Lou, being a, a wonderful mother that she is, you know, makes the mac and cheese and comes and sets it there, and Amy just looks at it and goes, Feed me. <laughs> you know, 
She doesn't do So Mark would come in and spoon it and put it in her mouth. Mm, mm, thank you. <laughs> you know, yeah, or Brendan isn't in here. He's in the other room, I think, helping. But Brendan is our son. He's 17. So here's Brendan sitting on the, the couch. or his, He has his recliner. He'll fight me for it. He sits there, and it's evening, weekend, or whatever. It's time to watch something. He's like, can you hand me the remote? I'm like, it's right next to you. We're sitting down. Like, I can't reach it. It's like that far from his hand. I don't, just get it for him. I don't, don't want to, you know, that's kind of what we have with Christians taking responsibility for their own maturity and growth in the word. It's like, just give it to me, you know. Okay, here's, here it is. Here it is. <clears throat> Open it. <laughs> you know, or just yesterday, a couple days ago, I was sitting down and Kayla had just gotten up and she was sitting there. I said, I got this bad scratch on my back. Come look at it. And Kayla's like, I'd have to get up. <laughs> but, but isn't that the picture of, of really us Americans? We want everything done for us. But if we're going to grow, if we're going to mature, God has given us the word and he wants to speak to you. Are you willing to put the effort in to listen, to find what he has to say? You know, I've been praying about this because some of this is hard to hear. Really, some of this is hard to hear because the question is, how much time do you spend in the word? Do you eat every day? I hear a lot of excuses, why not? I heard one very recently, I can't repeat it, but it was you know, personal hygiene. I have to do this personal hygiene thing twice a week and so I, can't, I don't have time for the word that day. What? <laughs> really? You know, getting a haircut or whatever is more important than time in the word or you know, washing your hair. Hebrews 4.12, Hebrews 4.12 says this and I think it's gonna be up here so you don't have to turn there. There it is. For the word of God is alive and active sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit of joint and marrow, and judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Leave that up. Look at this. This is what the Word does. The Word of God is alive and active. It is not like any other book. You cannot get close to God by just reading commentaries on the Bible. You cannot get close by just listening to me tell you about the Bible. <laughs> the most you'll get is when you go to the Word and you get out of it, and that can happen Sunday. Ideally, your pastor, whoever's teaching you, is going to teach you right from the Word, like we are right now. We're looking at the Word, and hopefully you can see that, and that can have an effect on your life. But then you go to the Word, because it's alive and it's active, meaning it will do something different off in different times. I've read passages a hundred times, and the hundred and first time, something hits me. <laughs> or God speaks directly to me through that verse. Or you may read something for the very first time, and God speaks to you. But it's alive and, and active as it's working. Some, some translations say as it's working, it's alive and active. Sharper than a two-edged sword. Look at this picture. It's a very vivid picture. Piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The writer of Hebrews is very vivid. He's, it's like taking a sword, joint and marrow. That we're talking about the, you know, cutting in you, cutting you open, and looking inside. You know, that's the picture that he's giving is of a surgical instrument that will open up your body and reveal not your lung and liver, but your thoughts and intentions. Has this ever happened to you where you're reading scripture and all of a sudden your own motives are revealed to you and you went, oh darn. <laughs> or you're reading scripture and your own motives are revealed to you and you're like, oh good, me and God are in line. Sometimes it's encouraging, but the word will open you up. Remember how... how uh, David prayed. He said, search me, O Lord. Seek me and see if there be any hurtful way in me. How do we do that? How do we seek and, and let God open us up? It's through the word. 
It's a surgical instrument that will open us up. Now, the reason I, I wanted to look at Hebrews 4.12 was that this is very, very personal. God speaks to the church at large, but he also wants to speak to you directly. Do you know that? Do you know that God wants to talk to you? He does have a plan for your life. He does know which path is best for you. And he wants to tell you. <laughs> Are you willing to listen? So I think I've skipped some of the notes, haven't I? I got a thumbs up. Yeah, my bad. Okay. <laughs> um, all scripture can help you live the abundant life God has for you. That's in your notes if you're a note taker. All scripture can help you live the abundant life God has for you. Oh, you guys are good back there. Covering up for me. Thank you. Now, here's the next one. The Word of God is alive and will expose your hidden motives and agendas to you. God wants to speak directly to you. How do I know? He's done it to me. <laughs> it was a year ago or so when Callie and I were really feeling God's prompting for what to do. You know, this whole common ground thing, this just didn't happen overnight. God spoke to Callie and I directly and said, I want you to do this. And he used a couple things, but the primary thing he used was his word. He used his word. Here's the other thing God often uses is other people, Christians. You know, I think those are the, the two primary ways God will speak to you, through his word and through somebody who loves Jesus speaking to you with the right heart, with the right motive. And God used both of those in certain circumstances. But some of the, the verses, I just want to show you what happened with me. Uh, as I was going to God's word, he kept showing me the same things. Sometimes it got tiring. I get it. Stop it. <laughs> but John 10.10, 10, we talked about it last week, where Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy. Or, sorry, that's not done. But where he said, um, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That kept coming back to me where Jesus said, I came that they may have life abundantly. And I said, most Christians don't experience the abundant life. That bugged me. <laughs> and that, that ate at me. God's word was eating at me of, I want my people to experience the life I have for them. And then another one um, in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Some of Jesus' last words where he said, go make disciples. I said, that, that abundant life is found in a life of learning service. Lifelong learner, we talked about that last week. A lifelong learner of Jesus and serving and making others into lifelong learners that experience the abundant life. I'm like, go make disciples. That's what we're supposed to do. And then in Luke 19.10, Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. I mean, it was one of those things that I would open the, you know, I don't recommend doing this. You know, God, what do you have to say to me? Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. <laughs> you know, that can work. <laughs> but in general, that's not the way to do it. But one of the, God just kept taking me to, I came to seek and save the lost. And elsewhere, Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I send you. So I'm like, okay, so... God sent you, Jesus, to seek and save the lost, and now you're sending me to do what God sent you to do, seek and save the lost. Oh, <laughs> I better be obedient. And then the last one that he used in me, 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11, where he said, to each one has been given a gift to use for the good of the body. So if you have a speaking gift, use it. Crap. <laughs> Darn. Sorry, I shouldn't say that word. Darn. <laughs> you know, if you have a leading gift, use it. I don't want to. So God spoke to us very, very directly through his word of what he wanted us to do. Other things lumped in. What is God speaking to you? If you're not listening through the word, you won't know. You won't know. And often it takes work. It takes work. 
this is in your notes. In order to experience Jesus' better way, it is vital that you respond in action when the Word of God reveals something in you or to you. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Knowing what God says is of some value. Doing what it says is of great value. Applying it is where it happens. Knowledge alone is knowledge. Jesus says knowledge puffs up and makes proud. But knowledge applied is wisdom. Knowledge applied is when life happens. That's when the abundant life happens. Not knowing what it says, doing what it says. That's a lot more difficult, I'll be honest. That takes some, some effort at times to trust. That takes being dead and giving up and letting Jesus have control. But in order to experience Jesus a better way, it's vital that you respond in action when the Word of God reveals something in you or to you. So let's make some application. We've looked at our scriptures. Let's make some applications. We see what it says. How do we do this? I want to give you guys a tool, a strategy of how we can do this. So this is also in your notes. But how to hear from God. One, set a time and a place. Schedule it. Schedule it. Relationships take work, don't they? Any relationship. And it takes some time, doesn't it? If, remember back to when you were dating? Did it just happen? <laughs> were you just like, you know, I think I like you and I'll see you when I see you? <laughs> no. You know, when Callie and I were dating, or before we were dating, you know, I would stalk her on, we had this thing at, <laughs> I did. Um, <laughs> but, but we had uh, internet at Biola. Um, intranet. So you could log on and see if people were at their computer, you know, and you could chat with them. And so I'd log on to chat with her. I'm like, oh, she's not on. I know, you know, then there was this common ground area. It was actually called common ground, wasn't it? Um, or Eagle's Nest, right in the middle of campus where pretty much you always float. And I would just go there and pretend to read. <laughs> and I just watched and there she is, you know, I made an effort to go where I knew she would be. I knew when she had music classes and I would hang outside the music building. Creepy, maybe. <laughs> But I was intentional, you know? And then when we started to, to date, we spent time together. We scheduled it. You know, when I moved away for a couple years, we'd talk on the phone for hours and hours and hours. But it took time. We'd schedule it. We'd plan it. Didn't you do that too? If you want a relationship with people, don't you do that? It takes the same with God. A time and a place. Schedule it. Put it on your calendar. Is it? Is it? Jesus did. You know, Jesus often, as you read through Scripture, he got away to be with God. But it says often, he got up early in the morning. Jesus rose early to spend time with the Father. I'll be really honest. Most of us, it's the morning. Most of us. Some of us, I understand if you're not a morning person, but you better be very intentional to schedule it some other time. Because the day gets going and the day goes. So most of us, it's the morning. But set a time and a place. Now, here's, here's number two. Have a reading plan. Have a plan. If you're going to hear from God, have a plan. Again, I don't recommend just doing this. Yeah, we're in Mark today. You know, that's okay. I mean, that's better than nothing. But I, I would encourage you, have a plan. Have a plan. Um, I had an app that I used for a while, you know, read through the Bible in a year. And so there would be some Psalms, some Proverbs, some Old Testament. Some, it was great. I loved it. You know, I could just, and they told me what to read. Okay, I'll just read that. You know, and that, that was okay. That's good. But, but have a plan. I don't recommend starting at the beginning and just reading through. <laughs> I really don't. Because what you're going to do is you're going to get to Deuteronomy or probably before. You're going to get to Leviticus and go, I'm bored. <laughs> you know, 
But those things are good to read. All scripture is profitable. Some is more profitable than others at certain times. Let's be honest. It is. And so have a plan, not front to back, but read some of the Old Testament. Read some of the New Testament. Have a plan. Um, if you need help with this, we have devotionals right back there, and it'll give you what to read for about a month, a um, little, little longer, and it's really good. Um, but have a plan. Now, here's number three. After you have a time and a place and you have a plan, soap. Soap. Scripture, observation, application, prayer. Soap. Now, there's other acronyms people use. There's other ways. That's a, this isn't like... In scripture, I found where it says do soap. You know, there's other, but this is a strategy that can maybe help you. If you don't have something else that's working, try this. Scripture, meaning you have your plan, you read it, pick one or two verses. Okay, you're reading, you're wanting to hear from God. So as you read, you're listening, you're paying attention. And one or two verses hopefully will, will stick out. And just pick those, write them down. Okay, just write down what stuck out. Scripture, that's it. So this is in your notes. Scripture, after you read or while you read, pick one or two verses that stick out to you. And then write some observations about that. Observations. Just, you know, this isn't going super deep necessarily, but observations. I, I noticed Jesus did this in this verse. Or so-and-so did this. Uh, for me, this past week, for the past two weeks, the same scripture has actually come to me twice as I've been reading in 2 Thessalonians, where Paul was writing to the Thessalonians. He says, we, we, I affectionately desire you. I'm like, that's weird. But, but I, I have affectionate desire for you. He said, remember when we were with you, we labored day and night for you. So he was doing his tent making in the day. He was making disciples at night. He was, we labored day and night, and he was passionate for them. This kept coming out to me. And so I wrote some observations about that verse. Paul was willing to work without getting anything back. <laughs> Paul provided his own living while pouring out. He must not have kids. <laughs> I, I mean, that, I wrote that observation, I think. But, but, you know, right or wrong, I'm not sure that's totally accurate. But, so, but I just wrote down some observations. So write that down. Have some observations. Um, scripture, observation, and then application. Application. How do you believe God wants you to apply that truth or principle to your life right now? Application. How does this apply to me? If you don't get to the application point, you're not done. You're not. Because God wants you to, what does James 1.22 say? Be doers of the word and not hearers only. So find the application in there for you. Write it down and seek to apply it. Now, I have to tell you this real quick. You need to know this. Scripture cannot mean anything other than what it means. You can't add your own meaning to a scripture. Whatever, Jesus, whatever the Holy Spirit intended when it was written, that's what it means. Whatever the author, whether it's John, James, whoever, Elijah, whatever they wrote, it means what they intended it to mean. You can't read it and go, I think this means this. Have you ever been in one of those Bible studies? What does this mean to you? And everybody has something different? Well, some may be right and some are probably wrong. <laughs> so you find out what it means then there's a principle there. In the Old Testament, people a lot of times won't read the Old Testament. Oh, it doesn't apply anymore. Yeah, it does. You'll get to know God in the Old Testament, and you'll learn an application there or a principle that applies. So in the Old Testament, it teaches about tithe. You give ten, they would give 10% to the temple, but then they had other tithes. They had other offerings they would give. They gave closer to 30%. Well, you know what? We can't apply that to us right now. We can't say you need to give 10% to your local church, and you should probably give another 20%. You, know, you can't make that. But there is a principle there of God wants you to give from your first fruits. 
He wants you to give generously and sacrificially from the start, and he will bless you for it. That's a principle that applies now. And so you can figure out how that applies. So you find the principle and then apply it to you. You cannot skip this step. Again, abundant life is not found in knowledge alone, but it's found in knowledge applied. So apply it. This is in your notes, I think. Do not learn about God and life through the Bible. I said, do not only learn <laughs> about God and life through the Bible. Apply what you learn to life, or it will offer no value to you. Again, we're yoked to Jesus. Remember that picture last week? We're yoked to him, and we learn from him. He'll teach us as we go. Um, the last one is prayer. So before we get to that, though, uh, Ephesians 5, as I was thinking... Bear with me. This is the picture that kept coming to mind, and it's going to be awful. Um, but so but Ephesians 5 just kept coming to mind, coming to mind, coming to mind, where Paul says, Paul's talking about husbands and wives, but he takes a break in there in Ephesians 5, and he speaks to the church and about Jesus' relationship to the church. And it says that Jesus sanctifies her with the washing of the water of the word. So the picture is that Jesus takes his church, takes his people, you and me, and washes them makes us clean in God's sight through the word that begins with giving our life to Christ. We hear the word, we respond, we're made clean. God looks at you as clean, just so you know that. But then I think there's an ongoing application where it's the word that washes us. So we have this taint of sin on us still. This point in time, boom, we come to Christ, right? But we still have our old way of living. And so learning to walk with Christ, learning to live the abundant life with Christ is, is like, you know, say you've thrown right-handed your whole life. It's like trying to throw left-handed. There's some practice. You have to learn how to trust. You know, there's some practice that goes along with it. So in Ephesians 5, he talks and he just says that, that Jesus sanctifies his church through the washing of the water with the word. So we still have this sin taint in our daily life. Again, in God's sight, you viewed as clean. Our destination is sure. We're going to be with God. But we have to learn how to walk it. And so this sin, and James talks about it. He says, clean your hands, you sinners. And he's talking to Christians. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. The word is like the Bible's a bar of soap. <laughs> and it's washing the sin off. So I actually had this picture of somebody in a tub with the Bible script. You know, but, but that's, that's the idea of this is a bar of soap. It's a bar of soap that washes the sin from your life. That's God's intention of it. It will wash you clean as you learn it, as you apply it, as you approach it with a heart to change of humility, and then you apply it. You do what it says. So obviously the picture wasn't as funny to you as it was to me, <laughs> the, the image in your mind, but that's what the Bible does. So, but the last one, the last one is prayer. Thank God for what he said to you. Tell him what you're going to do about it and ask for his continued guidance and empowering and presence. Pray back to God after you learn, after he speaks to you, speak back. Now that application, a lot of times, I'll tell you this, a lot of times it is just knowing something. A lot of times the application is simply trust me. <laughs> now that you know this about me, trust it. So it may not be you go out and you do an action with somebody. It may be stop worrying. That's how it is often with me. When I spend time with God, it's get over yourself. There's an application for me all the time. Get over yourself. It's not about you. Trust me. You're worrying about this. Just trust me. I've got it. Application isn't always an action out there that can become legalism. But apply it. Pray it back. Now, as we finish, 
a couple verses came to mind that I just, I would love it if this was each of our and our collectively view of the word. Jeremiah writes this in Jeremiah 15, 16. He says, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. This is how Jeremiah viewed the words of God. He sought them out, he ate them, and they were a joy. Is it a joy to you when you hear from God? I hope so. Psalm 119.103, David writes this, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Don't you just long to hear from God? Uh, I would encourage you this week, read all of Psalm 119. It's the longest psalm. It's really long. But it's all about the word. It's in Psalm 119 where, where David says, I have hid your word in my heart that I won't sin against you. The word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And us going to it should be a joy. Shouldn't be legalistic. You know, it shouldn't be that, well, we have to do it to be right with God or God will approve of me if I spend every day in the Word. But we, do, we need to make it intentional and consistent. And if it's only a couple verses that you read a day, fine. <laughs> Start somewhere. God wants to talk to you. God wants to talk to us. That's how we live the abundant life. Picture that path that I drew again. This is where we find the answers. This is where we find the answers. And any of your excuses, I don't care how good they are, they're not good enough. None of your excuses are good enough to not spend time with God, to not listen to Him through His Word. Let me pray, and we have one more song of worship. Father, we, uh, I thank you so much for your Word. Um, <laughs> in, in my earthly wisdom, I often think I know what's best, and I'm so often wrong. I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you for your patience with me. Um, as I learn, as I try and apply, as I stumble and I go, uh, you're so patient. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your clear direction at times when we, when we need it. Um, I just pray. I, God, I ask for everybody in this room, for this body, this group, that we would be those who seek you through your word, that we trust your word, that we believe it, that we apply it, and we live, we experience this life of, of peace, of joy, and of purpose as we follow you, as we follow you. Please be honored and glorified. I just pray that these last words that we sing to you would be from our heart, would be hearts of love and appreciation back to you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.